Are you a mom launching kids into adulthood? If so, you need to know about my Empty Nest Mom Retreat. It is the gathering for moms who have at least one child over the age of 18 or who have launched them all and have a full empty nest. September 27th through the 29th are the dates, and Cedar Lake Retreat Center in Cedar Lake, Indiana is the place. You can fly into Chicago airports and drive to Cedar Lake in a little over an hour. Come join me. Best value registration is available through May 27th, and space is limited to just 100 moms, so don't delay. Check out jillsavage.org slash retreat to register today. As you look at, you know, the life of Jesus, doubting him and questioning him and being angry with him doesn't diminish his deity. It actually allows you to identify with his humanity. And Jesus is fully comfortable in his deity so he can fully meet us in our our humanity. You're listening to the No More Perfect Podcast, where we talk about strengthening the relationships that mean the most to you. I'm Jill Savage, and I live in normal Illinois. I'm committed to talking honestly about the messy, less than perfect, but normal stuff of life. I'm so glad you've joined me. Well, hello, friends, and welcome back to the No More Perfect Podcast. You know, we cannot heal what we don't admit is broken. And yet too many of us, we pretend, we perform, we try to be perfect, which keeps us striving instead of thriving. And that's a journey that I used to be on. You know, I say that my books came out of my mistakes and my personal growth, and that's why I've written No More Perfect Moms, No More Perfect Kids, No More Perfect Marriages. It's why this podcast is called the No More Perfect Podcast. Authenticity is freeing, and I have come to experience that freedom myself, and so has my guest today. Justin Davis is the author of a new book titled Being Real is Greater Than Being Perfect. He's an author, a speaker, a pastor, and he's dedicated his life to helping people experience life change through the power of authenticity. Along with his wife, Tricia, he co-founded Refine Us Ministries, where he shares his personal story with honesty and transparency, inspiring others to find the courage to do the same. Justin and Trisha and their family live in our hometown of Indianapolis, Indiana. Welcome to the No More Perfect Podcast, Justin. Thank you so much, Jill. It's so great to be here. It's so fun to have you. And it's it's been a while since you and I have connected. So catch me up on your family and what you and Trisha are doing these days. That is a very loaded question. Um, <laughs> so uh, we have five kids. We, Trish and I have been married for 28 years, uh, which is just crazy just thinking about that. But we have we have five kids. Our oldest son just launched a church last week. Uh, really? So they started a church in Indianapolis, Indiana, and it's called The Sanctuary. And it's actually in Broad Ripple. And it, it, it went fantastic. I, just as a, as a pastor, I was proud. As a dad, I was proud. As a follower of Christ, I was uh, thankful. So yeah, so we got to experience that last Sunday. Um, our our second oldest son, Elijah, um, he just moved home 
um, a year ago and he's going to grad school. He's getting his master's degree in counseling. And so uh, he's got free room and board as long as he's in school and then he's back out. Um, and then <laughs> our, our, we have a 20 year old son and he is a sophomore at Lipscomb university in Nashville. And then six years ago, we adopted Jalen and Janaya and Jalen is 15 now and Janiah is 13. And so, yeah, so our, we're in uh, so many different seasons of life. We go from middle school all the way up to adult kids. So, yeah, yeah, that'll keep you super busy. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, yeah. our heart is our heart is uh, we travel and speak quite a bit. Um, do We do marriage conferences and and uh, speak at different churches really all over the country. And that's kind of our heart is to help people, uh, you know, restore hope and renew the relationships. Yeah. Yeah, I know. You guys, your heart beats for the same thing that our heart beats for. And we really, really appreciate um, for those of you that are listening, Justin and Trisha played a really important part of my journey when I was standing for my marriage 12 years ago. And um, I was in a really dark place. Um, Mark and I were separated. Mark had left. And I, I remember this, Justin, I was Googling something like healing from infidelity or something. I don't remember. And I ran across a blog post that you guys had written and it was so helpful to me. I reached out and you guys responded to me, which was huge. Mm. Like I just so badly needed that. And it was a lifeline to me. I mean, I don't even think we interacted a whole lot, but it was just enough that I knew I wasn't alone. And you guys had walked through something similarly and so, you know, at that time, I remember saying to myself, if I get to the other side of this, I will make sure I respond to every email that people send me. And mm. I do to this day because wow. you guys responded to me. Wow. That's, that's really, that's going to make me emotional. You know, <laughs> you, you never know who's on the other side of that email, right? And you never know what they're going through. And I can remember when Trish and I were separated in 2005, just feeling so desperate and feeling like, you know, I don't, I don't, I feel so alone, you know, and I had, I had email and, and text messaging and, and, you know, social media wasn't what it is today, but I had a few people that had gone before and had gone through what we were going through that came around us. And I think that that taught me a level of empathy um, that I've just tried, um, you, you can't help everyone, yeah. but, but you can help everyone know that they're, that they aren't alone and that they aren't crazy. And, um, and I think that's kind of been our mission as, as we've, you know, uh, as our ministry has grown, we, we've tried to maintain that level of personal care and, and personal touch. Yeah. Yeah. And you're, you're right. And sometimes all I have the ability to do is a, a quick response back, yeah. um, you know, just to letting them know that they're not alone. And like you said, they're not crazy. And that's it. it don't, I don't know. It's important. And, you know, as long as I can do that and keep up with it, I would say it's a core value for me because I, I certainly saw being on the other side of it, the impact it made. So, mm-hmm. so <laughs> Share a little bit of your personal story and honestly how it led you to getting to a point where being real is much more important than being perfect. 
Yeah. We have a number of different connections. I mean, we, uh, your daughter and son-in-law, and I've known them for years as well. But um, I, w- I went to Bible college in, in Lincoln, you know, Lincoln, mm-hmm. Illinois, Lincoln Christian College, Lincoln Christian University, and really just felt like God had called me into ministry. And that really kind of started this journey of performing for God and trying to impress God and trying to be enough for not just God, but for my wife and for the church. And I wanted people looking back on it. I really felt called to ministry to make a difference for the kingdom, but I really wanted people to like me. I wanted Mm -hmm. to feel um, accepted and I wanted to feel like I belonged. And so that just started a kind of a pattern of not necessarily living authentically, but pretending to be better than I really was. And and that kind of carried into marriage. It carried into, I'm, I'm a very performance driven person anyway, goal oriented. And so in 2005, Trish and I started a church um, and it went really well. And so as a, as a goal setter, as an, as a, someone who's driven by accomplishment, there was a sense of satisfaction for of that. Um, but I had not done the character development necessary to sustain success. Wow. And as the church continued to grow and expand and my responsibilities continued to grow, my relationship with God began to deteriorate. And 10 years into marriage and three years into the church plant in 2005, Trish and I had gotten to this place where we were really good ministry partners and we had become really toxic marriage partners. And everything on the outside looked good. Um, we had three kids, nine, six, and three at the time. We had a growing church. We had just raised a million dollars to buy the building that we were meeting in. Um, but I, I, I was not the person I was pretending to be. And I ended up, I had an affair with Trisha's best friend uh, who was also on our staff and did not confess it as a place of remorse or brokenness, but really from a place of resignation. I was just done with her, with ministry, with God. Mm -hmm. And I was going to pursue this life that I felt like I deserved. And through a number of different circumstances, um, God began to break me. Um, I went to a, my very first counseling session uh, in that time, and Trisha kicked me out of the house. Um, I, we were separated for two and a half months. We didn't talk for for ten days, and, and it was during that time that I started really going to counseling and, and really trying to repair this relationship that I had, you know, shattered. And we began to go to counseling together. Ten ten days into our separation, Trisha was willing to go to counseling with me. And so we started going to counseling four days a week and God really started doing some incredible things in that, in that counseling time. And we were having really honest conversations, but then 30 days in our counselor said, Justin, if you've left anything out, now's the time to share it. And he said something, Jill, that it became kind of the, the current by which I even wrote the book. He said, unconfessed sin always leads to repeated behavior. And so if you don't want to be back here in three months or three years or 13 years, you better come clean now. And I knew that I was withholding truth, not because I wanted to hurt Trish, but because I felt like if she knew that she Uh, wouldn't love me, it would be over. Wow. But at the same time, I felt like this, I felt the Holy Spirit saying, are you ever going to be a person of truth? Like, are you ever going to be a man of integrity? Are you ever going to have a right relationship with me? This is not about your marriage anymore. And so it was at that point that I submitted and I 
shared with Trish that I was sexually abused as a kid. I shared with Trish that I was that I'd struggled with pornography for the first 10 years of our marriage. And it wasn't until I finally became honest with myself, with God, and with others, with my wife, that I was actually able to experience not behavior modification, because I had tried for years not to struggle with pornography. I had tried for years not to struggle with lust, but I began to be able to experience heart transformation. And so while that is an, an old older story, right, that, that was in 2005, and we wrote a, a book all about that journey, that yeah. was kind of the pivotal moment where I experienced the, um, the willingness to be vulnerable, partnered with the power of the Holy Spirit to transform. And it just became kind of, um, it, it became kind of a way of life. Like I, you don't have to be vulnerable with everyone. That'd be creepy, but I just cho- chose to begin to live my life in a vulnerable way, in a, in a, as real a way as possible, as a transparent a way as possible. And, and that really became kind of, um, our philosophy as a couple, as a ministry, as a family, that, that became a huge value of, of that, you know, transparency leading to transformation. You see it all throughout the gospels. And I, I, I never experienced it until that moment. I, I thought it was trying harder, not necessarily mm-hmm. surren- surrendering more. And so that, that's, that's kind of the, the, you know, the backstory as well as kind of the defining moment in my journey with Christ and, and in my life that kind of led me now, what is this, 18 years later, uh, to kind of sharing that story and in in, in beyond just a marriage relationship. Right, right. Oh, thank you so much for sharing that. And uh, I think we don't, we don't understand the power of surrender. You know, mm. Mark, Mark and I recently did an entire podcast episode, just the two of us talking about surrender and the what surrender is and why it's important. And um, and it, I think our tendency is we we just try harder, we try harder, we try harder, and we don't realize the impact of letting go. Uh, being full in to uh, honest about our struggles and who we are. But as long as we're trying to perform, we can't do that because that's holding us back. Yeah. Well, and I think it's why there's so many God loving church going Christians that they, they attend church and they're in a small group and they serve in the kids ministry because that's extra credit in heaven. But you know, nobody's transforming, nobody's changing. Like we're doing all of the things that everybody says we should do. We're, we're, we're reading our Bibles, we're praying. And I think there's the missing, one of the missing pieces is confess your sins to one another and pray for each other, not for forgiveness, but for healing. And there is a cathartic thing about being honest with others and honest with God that brings healing to our heart and transformation. And so that's, that's the heart of kind of, I, I, you know, I, I've been trying to write this book for 10 years. I, I pitched it in 2015 and it wasn't a marriage book. So publishers didn't want it. And, and it's, but I feel like it's my life message because I've seen it transform my life so much and my family. And yeah, and I, I see so many Christians that are just so exhausted. They're exhausted in their marriage. They're exhausted as parents. They're exhausted following God because they're trying harder, but it's not yielding the results that they feel like they've been promised by Christianity. Right. You know, it really, this has been on your heart even longer than 10 years because I, in my No More Perfect Moms book, 
I quote you and Trisha on a blog post that you wrote in 2011. And I, I, I have this in my book, but even when I speak, and I always give you credit, just so you know, <laughs> even when I speak, I often will read this and I want to read it. It's, it's about masks. You guys did a blog post called The Masks That We Wear. And this is what you said. We wear masks at church. We argue all the way to Sunday service and paint a smile on our way in. We pretend to be more spiritual, more put together, more mature in our faith than we really are. We fear that if anyone knew the real us, they would think less of us. So we mask our brokenness. We wear masks at home. We pretend things are okay in our marriage when there's distance. We say nothing is wrong when our feelings are truly hurt. We don't necessarily lie to our spouse. We just shade part of the truth. We don't feel comfortable being our true self with our spouse because we're afraid of judgment or ridicule. The thing about masks is that they never bring us closer to who we were created to be. Masks always make shallow what God has intended to be deep. Friendships, marriages, families, churches, everything in our lives gets cheated when we choose to be fake. That's the heart. Yeah. Wow. Of what you're talking about in yeah. being real uh, is greater than being perfect. And I love the statement that you said there. And that is everything in our lives gets cheated when we choose to be fake. Talk about that, Justin. Yeah. Well, I think, Jill, I think, you know, all of us, our, our greatest desire is that we would be known and our greatest fear is that we won't be loved. Mm -hmm. Right. And so we, we all want intimacy. Intimacy literally means to be fully known. Like God created us for intimacy, intimacy with him. If you're married, intimacy with your spouse and all of our relationships are created to have different levels of intimacy, right? The level of intimacy you're going to have with a best friend is going to be different than the, you know, a coworker, but right. we, we enter into relationships because we want to be known, but our greatest fear is that we won't belong. We won't be loved. We won't be accepted. And so what happens is we compromise the truth of who we are on the altar of being accepted. And we do what Brendan Manning calls, we create imposters. We create these false selves that are, that we think are more um, approachable or acceptable or will fit in better at work, at school, on the sports team, in the small group, at church. And we have all of these false selves. And what happens is we we compromise the the identity that God has created us to experience. And so it's not even I don't and I don't even think it's not even malicious, right? No. It's not it's not born out of an out of a posture of I want to be fake. It's born out of a posture of I am nervous Jill is not going to like me, so I'm going to conform who I am to hopefully be better accepted by her. Right. And so I think it's it's out of a genuine need for love and acceptance and so we start living for the image that we want people to have of us rather than living from the image that God has inherently placed in each one of us uh you know uh, when he created us. Yeah. Yeah. And boy, just people pleasing in general. I mean, it just, it robs us of so much. And when we look back at our marriage disaster and when, when all of that happened in our world, a lot of that came particularly for Mark, for his part. I mean, I had my part, but he had his part and his part was, I mean, he even grew up in a family where you don't have a voice. 
And mm. so he chose to just kind of stay silent, stay silent. Stay, I, I, I just want to be, you know, that pleaser in him was strong. Yeah. But you can only do that so long before you implode because you're right. not being true to yourself. And then unfortunately what happens is sometimes then we act out rather than actually uh, speak up, find the the courage that we need to be authentic and do it in a healthy way. Yeah. I think, you know, um, so often we desire to please everyone and the one person that we don't please is ourselves, Right. So either, I think it was Craig Rochelle that says the quickest way to make yourself miserable is to try to please everybody. Mm-hmm. And so many of us live miserable lives. I'll give you a good example. Uh, my wife, I'm going I'm to I'm throw her under the bus just a little bit. But we spent six days. You and I were talking off air about the uh, the beach. Oh, we were at the beach last week. We were mm-hmm. we had a speaking we had a speaking engagement in Fort Myers, and then the next weekend we had a speaking engagement in Tampa. So we went to the beach uh, in between, and just stayed in Florida. Mm-hmm. And we were there for the second day that we were there. Trisha's like, "This is so relaxing." She's like, "I didn't realize how." tied up I get when we're on family vacation because I'm worried about who's bored, who wants to go in for lunch, what are we going to have for lunch, where are we going to go for dinner, what if everybody doesn't agree on dinner? She's like, I'm constantly trying to think through all of these scenarios of what everyone else is thinking. And I think that's kind of a microcosm of how many of us live our life trying to please other people. We lose our sense of identity and who God has created us to be. Yes, And and, then I think um, it's again, it's not malicious and it, sometimes it's not even sinful. It's just how we're predisposed to want to feel accepted and loved. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. I agree. So talk about the importance, you know, we're talking about being more honest with each other and with people and with who we are. Talk about the importance of being honest with God. Well, um, one of the things I, I, I outline in the book, and I kind of go through a couple of different relationships um, in the book is the people who were closest to Jesus were the most honest with him. Mm-hmm. And if you look at the people who they, they respected his deity, they believed that he was a savior of the world. They, they were, they stood in awe at his miracles and they listened to his teaching. At the same time, they expressed frustration. Two of them argued in front of him on who was going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, right? <laughs> like who was going to sit on one side or the other. Right. Um, Mary and Martha, um, you know, they loved Jesus deeply and they chastised him for not being two hours late to their brother trying to heal him, but four days late. And, and, and they said, if you would have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Thomas, a disciple of Jesus, one of 12 people on the entire planet that walked with Jesus said, I'm not going to believe he has risen until I can touch his scars and I can put my hand in his side. And, and Jesus didn't chastise him. No. He met him in that doubt. Yeah. And so as you look at, you know, the life of Jesus, doubting him and questioning him and being angry with him doesn't diminish his deity. It actually allows you to identify with his humanity and Jesus is fully comfortable in his deity. Mm -hmm. So he can fully meet us in our, our humanity. And, and so I think that's a huge passion of mine is even, even throughout the old Testament, you can look at Job, you can look at David, you can look at a number of different people who just had honest conversations with God 
And at some, sometimes God changed his mind because someone was so honest with him. Mm-hmm. And, and yet we feel like, well, if God really knew that he wouldn't love me or I can't really approach God like that. And I think that God longs for us to be brutally honest with him because what relationship can really be grown without yeah. brutal honesty, right? Like if, if we don't believe we can trust God with heaven and our eternity, but we can't trust him with our emotions. We can't trust him with our anger. We can't trust him with a, I feel depressed or, you know, my, my wife is this, we, like we, we hold back with God and we say, I'll trust you for my eternal destination, but I can't really trust you with this emotion I'm feeling. And so I really want people to feel free. Um, and pr- I want to give people permission to be brutally honest with God because that helps grow our trust and it helps grow our relationship with him. Yes, absolutely. And I love that. You're right. When you look at the life of Christ, we learn so much when we look at the life of Christ. Um, when we really have an understanding of how he handled things and uh, he did, he met people in their doubt. He met people where they were. Uh, that God's big enough to to take our struggles and our emotions. And yeah. so, yeah. Well, and I think if you look even, you can look at how he approaches people, but then also look at, you know, you have the savior of the world that knows everything. And yet he asks, he asks questions mm-hmm. and you have the religious leaders who don't know hardly anything and they act like they know everything. Right. And so there's this, there's this juxtaposition of curiosity and, and, and wanting to learn and wanting to, to grow that Jesus demonstrates and then you have the the pride and the arrogance that I think was probably born more out of their insecurity than anything mm-hmm. of the religious leaders. And they don't experience any trans. I mean, Nicodemus is one that we know of that, that experiences, you know, life change, but the rest of them, they had this pious view of God and their life never really changed. Yeah. And it's the people that, that were the, the most humble and the most uh, honest and the most vulnerable with Jesus that actually saw the greatest life change. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So talking about life change. So let's think about somebody who has this tendency to kind of compartmentalize their life. And when we, you know, okay, we go to church, but then we come home and we kind of operate the way that we want. um, Or we don't, we're just afraid of that transformation piece. But they want to be serious about taking steps to change. So what what piece of advice would you have for someone who compartmentalizes their life but wants to get serious about making change? That's really good. That's a good question. I think for so many years, I wasted so much energy creating compartments of my life. And I think for those of us that struggle with that, um, there's a level of exhaustion that you feel because you have segment god wants us to live an integrated life and we have a tendency to live a segregated life we 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 compartmentalize and so i think one of the first steps in overcoming that is identifying the different compartments that you've created Mm -hmm. and then i think after that it's being honest about how those are creating maybe different imposters in your life and, and identifying those, those pos- those imposters. And then I think overcoming the shame that we, we live in. Um, mm-hmm. Many of us, we compartmentalize because we feel ashamed uh, for different, 
whether it's things that have done we've done or things that have been done to us. Yes. So I think identifying that and then I think being willing just to surrender not once that's a, it's a daily process of surrendering that to God, whether that it, maybe it's your dating life or maybe it's your marriage or maybe it's a relationship with an adult child, like whatever it is that you're holding on to that you're not experiencing transformation. My first question to you would be, have you surrendered it to God? Yeah. Have you acknowledged that you can't do it on your own, that you don't have the capacity to be the husband that God's called you to be or to overcome this issue with your mother-in-law that you keep running into? And so ra- rather than compartmentalizing that and setting it on a shelf, integrate it into your spiritual life, integrate it into your relationship with God and and surrender it to him. And I think you'll you'll see maybe not instant change, but I think what, what you begin to see is that God cares about that part of your life just as much as you do. And, and so that, I think that might be a a good first step. Well, and you know, the word, when you were kept saying integrating, integrating, what kept coming to my mind is that the core word of integrating and integrity is the same thing. Yeah. And, and so when we compartmentalize and, um, you know, in our life, into it's we lack integrity. Yeah. I think we war against ourselves, right? Because I, many of the things that we are compartmentalizing, it's not necessarily because we have it figured out. It's usually because we don't have it figured out. Right. It's so true. <laughs> you know? So it's just easier to set it aside or it's easier to, I'm going to be this person on Saturday night and this person on Sunday morning, or I'm going to, I'm going to be this person at church and I'm going to be, I'm going to treat my wife this way. And it's, it's not out of a, a disposition of I'm an expert. It's out of a disposition of, I don't know how to be better at this. And so I have to be different in both of these in environments. And, and yeah. I think that that integrity piece is so good, Jill. And I, you know, it's just a, such a good way of, of, of phrasing it. Well, and I don't think that we actively think I'm going to be this way on Saturday night and this way on Sunday, but if we will examine how we're living our life and where there's duplicity in it where there's a a double life like if people really saw the way that i speak to my husband if people really saw the way that i treat my wife yeah uh, that it's those it's like that type of a thought that enters our mind but i want to go back to something that you just talked about a few minutes ago and that was shame yeah because that those kind of thoughts actually feed shame right yep so you have, I know you have an entire chapter on shame in the book, and we, many of us struggle with shame. So talk just a little bit about shame. And then you say that, you know, so how do we give shame our way? How do we give our shame away? And what, what are we talking about there? That's good. Well, it's so interesting that you mentioned the word duplicity because I have a whole section in the book where I, where I talk about how we are conditioned for duplicity. Um, at church, you know, you can't, you know, my, I, we, I remember going to church one Sunday and we, we were all arguing on the way to church and my dad said, all right, everybody dry it up. We got to go in and worship God. And it was just this, it was this mental picture of the church is not a place for you to really be who you are. Yes. Um, and you know, whether that be at school or in our families, like we are taught that who we are in different environments isn't good enough. And I think that then 
invokes a level of shame. And for some people, maybe you feel shame because your parents used to tell you, you should feel ashamed of yourself. Or why can't you be like your sister? Or why can't you be as smart as your brother? Or there was a comparison that heaped mm-hmm. shame on you. Maybe for some, they were abused when they were kids. I, I, that, that was my story. I, I experienced sexual abuse when I was five or six years old. And so I lived with the shame of that, even though I didn't have a, I didn't have a uh, title or a label to put on it. Mm-hmm. It changes you. And so that shame just, it, it informed how I thought of myself, how I viewed sexuality, how I viewed dating, like all of that kind of got jumbled up in that. Mm-hmm. Uh, for, for some of us, it's sins that we've committed that we feel shame at. But the heart of shame is, it's not what you did is bad. The heart of shame is you are bad because yes. of what you did. Or you are bad because what was done to you. Shame says you deserved it. Or shame says you're never going to get over it or you're never going to be any different. Mm-hmm. And, and so I think it's recognizing that conviction and shame are opposite. Like yeah. the conviction of the Holy Spirit says what you're doing is wrong. God has something better for you. Yes. Shame says you're wrong and God isn't going to love you. And I think Christ died on the cross to overcome our shame, to overcome our condemnation. And I know that in my head. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's allowing my heart to live in it and absorb it and live out of it. And, and I think that's, that's the journey that's, that's so hard. And I think American, the American church has kind of perpetuated itself. Um, maybe, I don't know if it's intentionally, but I know there's just a lot of communities of faith that don't help people feel liberated from shame. They, they perpetuate the shameful feelings that, that people have. And, and as I look at the gospels and as I look at the life of Christ, he liberates us from shame. I mean, he, the woman caught in adultery, you know, neither do I condemn you go and sin no more. The woman at the well, he names her sin. The person that you're living with isn't your husband. You've had five husbands, but then she leads her entire, (laughs) she leads her entire village to Christ. Right. She's a Samaritan woman. And so Jesus doesn't wait for her to get her life together before you can't evangelize. No, you're not qualified. Yeah, you're still living with somebody. You can't. No, I'm not going to stay in your village for two days, which he does. Um, he liberates people from their shame and allows them to become mm-hmm. the fullness of who he created them to be. Yeah. Oh my goodness! Yes, such a beautiful picture. This has been so good, Justin. Oh, thank thank you. you so much. So good. Okay, I have one more question before we uh, kind of start to bring things to a close, and that is. You end the book with something called um, God's preferred picture of you. And I want you to talk about God's, how we embrace God's preferred picture of us. That's really good. That was a good question. Um, I think for many of us, we think that God loves us as we should be. And really God loves us as we are. And then he empowers us to be as we can be. Right. And so I think we, we all feel like God isn't, God might love us, but he might, he probably doesn't like us. Hmm. And, and so when you embrace God's preferred picture of you, what I talk about in the last chapter is it's for me, God's preferred picture for me is I'm a wounded healer. Mm-hmm. And this is a term that Brendan Manning, I think, probably first coined. 
But basically, I feel like every single one of us has a story. We all have something that if we were real and we were honest, we would say, this is broken in my life. For some, it's an addiction. For some, it's a divorce. For some, it's um, uh, uh, cancer. It, it may not. It doesn't have to be sinful, but it's something that has been broken in our life. A dream that was shattered. A business that failed. Mm-hmm. Um, a, a ministry that that died. Whatever that might be, and we often look at that and say that is the, the that is the defining moment of my life. And so I'm only the I'm only as good as my greatest achievement or my my biggest failure. And what I think God looks at is says, and he says, I can take that affair and I can help other people not have affairs if you're willing to share about it. Yeah. I, I can take that addiction to amphetamines that you have or, or prescription drugs that you had, and I can help other people avoid addiction if you're willing to share that with others. Mm-hmm. So God doesn't just leverage the best parts of our stories. And that's why I love the scriptures because there's not really any great people in the Bible, right? I mean, everybody's <laughs> right. so jacked up, right? But that's why that's why I know it's true because it's real life. Like it's not a it's not a caricature of people. It's no. It's, but God leverages the brokenness of people to help us gain wisdom, and and He longs to do the same thing in your life. And for those of you that are listening, that the the how I say it in the book is God can take your biggest failure and turn it into your biggest launching pad. Yeah. You know, the launching pad of your greatest calling. And, um, and so I think, you know, uh, what I want to do in that last chapter is help people feel a sense of freedom and a sense of empowerment that God can take something that they may feel ashamed of, or maybe the worst day or the worst week or the worst event of their life and he can leverage it for not just for your good, but for his glory and for the betterment of other people. Yeah. And what I would even add to that is, I mean, you and I and Trish and Mark, we have the opportunity to do that on a stage. You don't mm-hmm. even have to be on a stage. You don't have to write a book. You don't have to be on a podcast. You can do that sitting across the table, having a cup of coffee with someone. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I think oftentimes we think it's going to be some grandiose way, and maybe it is sometimes, but sometimes it's just the simplest way where just one-on-one, we bring our brokenness to the table and we share honestly, and that encourages somebody in our circle, our church, our community, our neighborhood that desperately needed to know that they're not alone. Oh, that's so good. And I, I mean, I have people, I'm sure you do too. I have people ask me all the time, I want to write a book or I want to start speaking. Mm-hmm. How do I do that? And I'm like, go to Starbucks. Like, yep. That, you know, when we, when we, um, we were separated for two and a half months, we put our marriage back together. Our counselor said, it's not healthy for you or the church for you to live in the same town. You should, you guys need to move. So we moved about 45 minutes away and we just wanted to be anonymous. We did not want to be known. I got a job in the marketplace and we were just going to start our life all over. And word started to get, get out that I wasn't, you know, this is before social media that we had gone through something. And so I would get an email or I'd have somebody come up to me at church and go, I heard you and Trish went through some things. Could we have coffee? Yep. And that's, that's where the, that's the book started there. You know what I mean? Like the, the, the platform got, 
God recruits people from the pit, not the platform. Yes. Right. And so yes. um, if you're if you're in a pit, God wants to use you because there's other people in that pit with you and mm-hmm. they need a voice of encouragement and they need a voice of of saying it's going to be okay and they need a guide out of that pit. Yes. Yes. Absolutely agree. So Justin, where is the best place that people can connect with you online? Best place would probably be Instagram. Um, I'm not on TikTok. Um, my <laughs> kids have told me that I, I'm I'm 50 now, so there's there's just no chance I'm ever going to have that. Um, not on Snapchat, <laughs> just on on uh, Instagram and and Facebook. But Justin Davis 33 is my um, is my Instagram. And if you go to if you go to Facebook and slash Justin Davis 33, you can get to me on Facebook as well. Um, but yeah, Instagram is probably the best way to connect. And then your website is refineus.org 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 uh, yeah and uh, we do uh, we do marriage coaching we do uh, we speak and travel and, and do marriage conferences um, and our you know we sit across from people like this on a zoom call and try to help them in their relationships mm-hmm. and um, and so that's kind of what that's what uh, keeps our uh, our ministry going yeah, absolutely. You know, I'm I'm just uh, so grateful for uh, how you guys have turned your pain into purpose, and really, we we are very very like minded. And um, by the way, I do want your kids to. You need to tell your kids that it isn't true. I'm 59, and <laughs> Mark and I went viral on TikTok. No way. We did. We did a TikTok. And I had 400 followers on TikTok and we did this one TikTok and it was um, a, con- a see an evening routine for a connected marriage. And okay. I, sh- I shared it on Instagram and it did fine on Instagram. It did well. But I shared it on TikTok. I went from 400 followers to 24,000 followers in oh 24 gosh. hours. That is viral. That is insane. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> That's amazing. Wow. And so my grandkids are like, Nana, you are TikTok <laughs> famous. <laughs> oh my gosh. I did this video. You know how you can do a green screen on uh on Instagram? Yeah. So I did this video where I did a green screen. I was trying to I was trying to make this thing. It was for my book. And uh so I I, I posted it. My oldest son texted me. He's like, I need more green screen content from you. I said, dude, I researched on YouTube for 20 minutes on how to do a green screen video on Instagram. <laughs> I, said, I couldn't even figure it out. I'm like, I was trying to program my VCR. That's, how, that's what I felt like. I felt like my grandparents trying to program my VCR. <laughs> oh, I love it. That's great. I love it. All right. Well, uh, you know, as we bring this to a close, uh, Justin, would you be willing to pray for our listeners and their journey into authenticity? Yes, I'd love to. God, we thank you so much that you are real, that you are authentic, uh, that you are exactly who you say you are. You are the definition of integrity. And so, God, as we try to follow you, would you uh, give us the courage uh, to be vulnerable, would you give us the courage to stop pretending, to put, to take off our masks, to allow you to see the real us? Mm-hmm. That you, um, just like you don't force yourself into our salvation, you won't force yourself into our transformation. You heal the parts of our heart that we surrender to you. 
Yeah. So God, we come to you today and we just surrender. And for the person that's listening to this, that's driving their car right now, God, um, they may need to surrender their marriage. They may need to surrender their finances. They may need to surrender um, a relationship for the person on the treadmill, the person that's on a walk right now, or however they're listening, God, mm-hmm. maybe they just open up their hands as a sign of surrender. Yeah. Say, God, I invite you into the hidden parts of my heart. Yeah. And I'm not, I'm not trying to hide from you. I want to be known by you. And so God, would you give us the courage to pray that prayer, to be that vulnerable and to just to invite you into the parts of our heart that we desperately need you, knowing that you long for us to, to move past our shame and to live in the identity that you've given us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining me today on the No More Perfect Podcast. If you haven't already, make sure you subscribe and follow so you don't miss any future conversations. You can find the show notes and links to anything we talked about over on jillsavage.org slash podcast. I hang out on Facebook and Instagram and would love to connect with you there. You can find me under the name jillsavage.author. One more thing, we have three free ebooks that we'd love to give you. You can find them at jillsavage.org slash free. See you next week where we'll have another conversation about the real stuff of life and relationships.